morning, everyone. If you would turn to First Thessalonians chapter five, that's where we'll be spending our time this morning. First Thessalonians chapter five. I plan on this being the last message from First Thessalonians, except for uh, one little homework assignment that I I might get to next year sometime early. This is not really a Thanksgiving sermon, but it has a Thanksgiving flavor, and uh, because because of the command to always be thankful or be thankful in every circumstance. And so, if you're in First Thessalonians chapter five, I'll go ahead and read these verses. I'm going to read verses 16 through 24. Those are the verses we'll be studying this morning, and this is from the English Standard Version. Starting in verse 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Verse 23 contains a a short but extraordinary prayer for the Thessalonian church that Paul is confident God will perform that that the Thessalonians be completely sanctified. And I believe that that prayer, that goal, is God's intention for each of us individually. That is God. That is where God wants to get us spiritually to this place, to what Paul refers to as complete sanctification and blamelessness, preserve us blameless. It, it is more than... Um, Verse 23, in my mind, is the destination where God wants to get us. It is more than just getting us to heaven, which is probably what we tend to focus on, but it is sanctifying us completely. Now, that's, that's verse 23. That's the destination. Verses 16 through 22, I think we could look at those fairly enough as being some things we ought to be doing on the way. So first, we're going to spend some time looking at verses 23 and 24, and then we'll back up a bit and look at verses 16 through 22, and and look at some of the things in there that Paul is commanding the Thessalonians to be doing as God is doing his work of sanctification in them. So verse 23, let me read it again. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Sanctify can also be, uh, you can also use the word holiness there. The New English translation says, make you completely holy. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is asking God to do two things for these Thessalonians. One involves change and the other involves preservation. He, he wants God to continue to change them because the truth is they need to keep changing. 
something that can be said about each of us, the Thessalonian church was, Paul was pleased with where they were at, but he saw some needs and, and definitely some room for improvement. And God may be pleased with where we are at spiritually, but see a lot of room for, for growth and for can, continued sanctification. So there's, there's this, this need for change. And then there's this prayer that God would continue to preserve them, keep them holy, spiritual in body, blameless. And, and when you read, if you would read verse 23 and not see verse 24, you might think Paul is just using some extreme language here. It is not really realistic. It's not. This is Paul's pipe dream. But then you get to verse 24 where Paul says very confidently, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So I have wrestled with this passage just a little bit because on one hand, verse 23 sounds almost impossible. But on the other hand, it's there. And Paul says, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So this is God's intention for us. And here are some things that I think we can safely say about these two verses. I have about four points here. One thing that we can say is, we already said it, that God's intention is for us to be completely holy. For Him to, to bring us to the point of complete sanctification. He intends to sanctify His people and keep them blameless. Earlier in this letter... Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, This is the will of God, your sanctification. And then a couple of verses later, God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. It is God's will for us to be holy people. And Ephesians 5 uh, mentions God's goal for the church. He, uh, Jesus died for them. So that in, in 527 they could be without the church could be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So complete holiness is God's intention for us. We can say that pretty safely about these two verses. We can also say that we need to be saying yes to God as He as He is trying to do this work in us. We need to be saying yes to Him. Now, this is not going to happen without our cooperation. He is, the picture of the shepherd is he is leading the sheep. The verse says, verse 24 says, he who calls you is faithful. It doesn't say he who drags you along is faithful. Now, I think sometimes God may go to extreme measures to get us to where we need to be. And maybe sometimes that is dragging us a little bit, but mostly... It is calling, and we have to say yes. Just like the Laodicean church, Jesus knocking on the door, they needed to open the door and, and, and say yes to what, and repent and say yes to what he was calling them to. So that's the second point. We need to be saying yes to God. Thirdly, I don't think Paul is talking about people achieving a place of spiritual flawlessness, where they are just perfect. People who are so perfect, perfect they haven't sinned for 
for months or even years, and they have just kind of arrived. I think he's talking more about people who have walked with Jesus long enough to be taken to those to those circumstances in their life where they need to put it on the altar again and again and surrender this area of their life to Jesus and, and, and have reached, this is a process, and have reached the point where their lives are fully surrendered. I think holy people is more defined by people who are holy surrendered, holy dedicated, holiness is, is, is being set apart. More about that than people who are just perfect. Okay, so I don't think Paul is talking about people reaching a, a state of just spiritual flawlessness. I think it is complete sanctification is talking about a complete surrender to God. A fourth point I would make is that blamelessness. Paul talks about blamelessness. I believe that comes from, again, not from living a life of perfection, but from walking in the light with Jesus. In 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That means we are walking with Jesus. We are... And the closer we walk to Jesus, uh, the more blameless our behavior will be, the less often we will sin. But when we do sin, we receive the cleansing, we repent, we repent first, we are cleansed of our sins, and, and that blamelessness comes from a continual washing and repentance. Now, th this is just, uh, verse 23 is, is a beautiful prayer, and and I believe it is God's will for us, what he wants for each of us, where he wants to get us individually, where he wants us to take us to. And I believe it's a destination that it is that, that he can get us to that place. He intends to. So let's talk a bit about what we need to do on the way, on the journey. Second Peter where in Second Peter, where he's talking about a new heaven and a new earth and us anticipating that, he says in chapter 3, verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Be diligent. So we, we've got some work to do. Verses 16 through 22 are some admonitions about some things that we ought to be doing in our lives. And I'm not going to pull from every single verse here, just touch on some of these different areas. And we'll start with verses 16 through 18. Let me read them again. And I want you to notice there are three things that Paul says we should be always doing. The three always. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the will of God. This is, uh, this is a core value of God, of God's, that we be people who are always rejoicing, praying without ceasing, which is basically always, and giving thanks in all circumstances. We are always in some kind of circumstance, so that basically means always also. Those are the three always. 
Now, I'm going to save thanksgiving and rejoicing, kind of combine those into one. Uh, I'm going to save that point for the last, so we'll finish with a little bit of thanksgiving focus. And for now, let's, let's touch on this thing of, of praying without ceasing. So we're on this journey. God wants to get us to this place of complete sanctification. One of the things we need to be doing is praying without ceasing. And there are two ways we can apply this admonition. Number one is for us to look at our own prayer life and say, to be honest, I probably need to pray more often. And, and you know, that's something pretty much everyone's going to say yes to. I mean, who's going to say, no, I pray enough. I, I think actually I pray a little bit too much. Now, everyone's going to agree that we need to pray more often. I would like us to think about it in terms of, is prayer something that characterizes your life? Is this one of the things that you just do frequently enough, it is part of your life, your everyday life? Like, there are things that I do on a regular basis, like, well, okay, I was going to say exercise, but that's not very regular. Um, I make coffee quite a bit. That is just kind of part of who I am. I make a lot of coffee and drink a lot of coffee. Um, what are some things that you do frequently? You probably check the weather, maybe. Some of you check the weather a lot. Some of you maybe check Facebook too much. Wash the dishes. You know, these are things just every day, this is part of your life. You might not like it. It's just part of your life. Uh, hopefully, you do enjoy praying. Praying should be a part of your life, just a characteristic of your life. This is something you do regularly, part of who you are. If God was someone who could be surprised, and he's not, but if he could be surprised, you wouldn't want him to be surprised that you took the time to pray. Make this just part of who you are. So that's the one way to take prayer, praying without ceasing. The other way to, to apply it is to say, I'm not going to allow there to be any ceasing in my prayer life. I'm not going to let something get in the way of my time of prayer with God. If I'm discouraged about life, I'm not going to say, I am just too depressed right now to pray, so I'm not going to pray. I'll wait till I feel better. If you're just really busy, you're not going to say, I'm just too busy to pray. Um, if God doesn't seem, seem to be doing something about a particular situation you're praying about, you don't say, well, I'm done because he's not doing anything. You remember the parable of the widow and the judge, right? And you keep praying. That, that, is, that is another way to, to apply praying without ceasing. You don't let anything get in the way of you and your prayer life. Things we should be praying would, would include praying about our church, praying for the lost, praying for those in authority. But here's an especially appropriate prayer. Verse 23. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Pray. One of the things you can pray, and know that this is God's will, and this is, a, we should say, a very healthy and short prayer is Lord sanctify me completely. That is something that could be part of your prayer life. And it is a, if you mean it, it's a submission to what God's will is for you. And I think that's a very healthy and appropriate prayer to be praying frequently. Pray without ceasing. 
Secondly, this one is based on verse 19 that says, do not quench the spirit. So the second admonition I have for you, for us, is to say yes to the spirit. Quench means, it's talking about putting something out, like you would put out a fire or quench a candle. Or I guess we don't say you quench a candle, but a fire you might quench. The Holy Spirit is often a figure of speech for the, for the work of the Spirit. Is fire. That's a New Testament figure of speech occasionally. And so Paul seems to be using that figure of speech here. Don't put out the work of the Spirit. What the Spirit is trying to do can be kind of rejected and, and shoved aside. And in this context, it would, it would appear to be especially with regard to prophecy. Verse 20 says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. And, and by prophecy, maybe he's talking about, I think he is talking about a spirit-inspired utterance. Maybe, it, maybe it's a prophecy about the future. Maybe it's just the spirit speaking into this situation. And Paul's saying to the Thessalonian church, don't quench that activity of the spirit. Don't, don't keep it from happening. If you're being moved by the spirit to say something, say it. And, and, and you others, listen to it, but test it. Now, I'm not completely sure what to do with the New Testament gift of prophecy. Okay, just to be honest, I, I, don't, I, I don't feel like I have, um, I, I can't really speak to, as to how to apply this quenching of the Spirit with regard to today's context. So I'm going to apply it to a slightly different context. The principle here is that we need the Spirit needs to be listened to and not told no. We need to say yes to the Spirit. I think that's the basic principle. And I think an appropriate context for us to apply this to is just our individual walk with Christ, walking in the Spirit. When the Spirit tells us, urges us to do something or not do something, we should not be telling it no. And I believe that that is a form of quenching the Spirit's activity in our hearts. I, I remember, I believe it's John D. Martin talking about this verse, and he says that, you know, the Spirit is like a voice, and the more often you say no to it, each time you say no to it, it gets a little bit quieter when it's trying to tell you to not do something in, in this specific situation. That was his analogy. When I think of quenching the Spirit, I have to think of, of Jack London's famous story, To Build a Fire, which is a cozy wintertime reading story. In that story, the, main, the protagonist goes out on a walk in the Yukon sub-zero temperatures and very, very cold, and he shouldn't be doing it. It's, too, it's dangerous. He doesn't really realize how dangerous it is. A wise man tells him not to go out there, and he does anyway. And somewhere on this hike, he falls through a thin patch of ice. Don't ask me why the ice was thin in sub-zero temperatures. Maybe there was a spring or something under it. And he falls through and gets wet and realizes he needs a fire. He builds a fire. Um, by the way, he has a dog with him who is, knows much better than the man that they shouldn't be out there. And he builds this fire, unfortunately, right under a tree branch with snow all over it. And, of course, the fire warms up the snow and it falls off the branch and puts out the fire. And now the man's fingers are too numb. And he can't get the fire started again, and so he dies. So, yeah, not a very cheerful story, really. 
But I was thinking, you know, he could have made the story end a little differently. He could have had the man suffering from hypothermia and, and, and had the fire there, and the man feel worried that the fire is getting too hot and it's burning him, and so he starts just tossing snow on it now and then, which would be a really terrible mistake to make, and eventually puts the fire out, maybe. And that's how the story could have ended if he was already affected by hypothermia and not thinking straight. That's what I think of as uh, quenching the spirit, throwing snow on the, on the fire. Not a sensible thing to do. So in this journey, we need to make a practice of saying yes to the spirit. God's goal is to get us to this, this point of complete sanctification. We're going to have to get in the habit of saying yes all the time. Okay, so the next ones come from verses 21 and 22. Uh, hold fast and abstain. Hold fast. The ESV says hold fast what is good. I don't know why it doesn't say hold fast to what is good, because it's just awkward uh, reading there a little bit. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. I think where we struggle, where we can, where I can struggle with this, with this command, is not so much about knowing what is good and what is evil. I mean, I think generally we kind of know what is good and what is not so good. <clears throat> I think where we can struggle is, is with the holding fast part, the fast part, and the every form part, because maybe too often instead of holding fast onto what is good, we are a little bit like, um, and I'm sorry, I don't know if I can preach a sermon anymore without using my children for an analogy, but uh, they have so many figures of speech come out of my experience with them, but, you know, if, if I'm going through Walmart and one of them wants to go look at Christmas trees, if they're supposed to be holding my hand, you know, it is, they're not holding fast. They may be obeying slightly, but it's with maybe two fingers. They're not holding fast. They want to go look at the Christmas trees or the, or the fish tank. It's another popular sightseeing attraction. And, and we need to be careful we're not holding fast like that. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And I'm afraid we, we tend to abstain from the most blatant and most obvious forms of evil and might might entertain the forms of evil that are not as obvious to outsiders uh, or maybe are just to us. It's just a little borderline. Paul says abstain from every form of evil. Remember what Melvin Lehman said a couple weeks ago about confessing Jesus as Lord. That's an easy thing to say. We need to confess Jesus as Lord when it counts, when it means we're going to give something up, or maybe we're going to do something because Jesus is Lord of my life. This is a huge part of God getting us to where we need to be, holding fast to some things, to his hand, and abstaining from other things. And finally, let's, get, let's go back to giving thanks and rejoice. Let's back up to verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
Give thanks in all circumstances. I don't think that means we need to thank God for every circumstance we experience, because some of them God may not have intended for, for us at all. We might have ended up there because it's our own fault. But I think in every circumstance, if we're a child of God, we can find some reason to thank Him. Not just when the turkey comes out of the oven, but when uh, the kids are fighting and the house is a wreck and you realize that you forgot to take that plastic bag of giblets out of the turkey before you put it in the oven. You know, give thanks in all circumstances. What difference does it make? I mean, why is it God's will for us to always be giving thanks? What difference does it make to Him? I've got a few points under this this notion, this um, idea. Why does God always want us to, to give thanks? First, simply because God appreciates it. He is, we share His image. And we appreciate it when people thank us for good things we've done or ways we've helped them. And that's just how we're made. And God is a person. He's not human like we are, but He is a person. And He appreciates being thanked. Second point, we need to be thankful God wants us to be thankful because not being thankful is dishonoring to Him. He's well aware of, of how much His gifts to us are worth. I mean, better, better, more aware than we are by far of, of the exact cost of, of what He's given us and how much we need those gifts. And to not thank Him for what He's given us dishonors Him. Romans one twenty one says this, talking about those who've turned away from God and are on this downward spiral. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him. So God honor, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. I just thought that was a, an interesting connection. Honor, they did not honor Him or give thanks. But they became, this, this is it's kind of a product of their lack of honor and, and, and not giving thanks. They became futile in their thinking. They became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. It went downhill from there. So not giving thanks is not honoring. It is dishonoring. A third reason for why we should always be giving thanks is because it's a powerful testimony to others. Psalm 105, verse 1 I'll give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deed, His deed among the people. His deeds, I'm not sure if I wrote that down right. Deeds or deed among the peoples. You probably aren't going to do a good job of making known the deeds of God if you aren't starting with being thankful for them yourself. It's, it's a powerful testimony to be a thankful person, even when, especially when things aren't going so great. Over in Acts 27, you remember Paul on the boat bound for Rome. He was bound for Rome. The boat was not bound for Rome. It was bound for the 
bottom of the ocean, basically. In Acts 27, uh, verse 33, they're in the middle of this storm. As day was about, was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, and not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And so they're in this situation where, uh, yes, it's, it's very dangerous, but Paul has this promise from God that is giving him a great source of encouragement. And I'll let you draw your own parallels to it, to our lives via promises. And then verse 35, And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all. So he took bread, he, he gave thanks to God in, in public. And I wonder what he thanked God for. I mean, did he thank God for the bread? Um, did he thank God that they were still alive? Probably he thanked God for, for the promise, for the revelation that they were going to be okay. Giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. He was being a good example there. He went first that time. And then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. So even the, the pagans on the boat were encouraged by Paul's example and, and his confidence that God was going to see them through this. So that is the, uh, I don't know which reason I'm on, but that's another reason to be thankful because it's a powerful testimony to others. And finally, we should be thankful because it is spiritually healthy for us. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And verse 7 would appear to be the outcome of us making our requests to God with thanksgiving. Verse 7 says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Bringing our request to God with thanksgiving is spiritually healthy, probably emotionally healthy also. It, it takes the focus off of who we are, the trouble we are in, and puts it on the one who gives good and perfect gifts. It reminds us that God is faithful right now. He's been faithful many times in the past. He will continue to be faithful. He who, who has called us is faithful. It reminds us of our complete dependence on God. We didn't, we didn't make it this far on our own strength, and we won't make it any farther on our own strength. It, it reminds us of how much we need God. It's it's very important that as we're, we're on this journey to complete sanctification, that we are thanking Him for whatever uh, circumstance we're in. Okay, not thanking Him for every circumstance, but thanking Him in every circumstance, being thankful people and praising Him. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7 says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So in conclusion, God wants to sanctify us completely. 
And he aims to preserve us blameless till the day of his coming. And let's make sure that we're cooperating with his, with his work, saying yes to his call. He is calling us. Uh, that we are, we are thanking him always. That we're saying yes to the Spirit. That we're holding fast to good. Abstaining from every form of evil. And praying without ceasing that he would accomplish this work of sanctification in us. God bless you. Let's have a song.